Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kira Maguire. You've, you find me, Kieran, all chipper, chirpy, because it's grey, it's drizzly, there's just a whiff just a whiff of autumn in the air. It's not long now to the 1st of October and I can start Christmas. And I'm, and I'm here with my old friend, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, to discuss the news of the week in football finance. That's, it's, it feels like the summer's finally over, Kieran. And that's all it, that's all it takes. I'm a shallow, vain man. But just, it's just a cloud. It's all it takes to make me happy. How are you? How's Finley? Finley, we've had lots of comments about Finley being antsy our last record. It was yes. Uh, well, I, I've I've had to wear my uh, my dog walking trousers this morning. It's so wet. Uh, so yes, so autumn is is definitely here. But uh, he 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 loves it. Uh, he he goes straight in all the streams and uh, and, and comes back home uh, covered in mud, which doesn't necessarily go home. Uh, it doesn't necessarily go down particularly well domestically. But uh, yeah. Great morning so far. Yeah, just a little insight there, everybody, into the difference in the environment in which I live and Kieran lives. He's got streams. And apologies to any Australian listeners, by the way, who are about to go in uh, to summer and are very unhappy about it. Um, Big story to start with, Kieran. Big words from a big man. Uh, Todd Bowley has made a few uh, splashes this week, shall we say. Yeah. Yes, uh, he was interviewed uh, by uh, by some sort of New York uh, or sorry American talk show host, um, and uh, he's he's not been involved uh, in football for very long, but uh, he, he thinks we've got things that we can learn. Mm. And uh, the first of those, and, and, I don't, and I don't want to dismiss everything, you know, because we don't want to be sort of uh, you know, it, it, football fans are innately conservative, um, but. He's he's made a few suggestions. Uh, one of which uh, is to to is to address the the lack of funding for grassroots football. Um, and this he says uh, is is to have a is to have a match between the north and the south. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, says it, it works in uh, Major League bas- Baseball. It, it works in American sports. You have you have an all star game at the uh, at the end of the season and. I think my initial reaction, and I think it was possibly not the only one, is who who would who would watch this? Mm. Um, yeah, but, but perhaps I'm being perhaps I'm being wrong. Yeah, I I personally couldn't be bothered, um, and I suspect you probably couldn't be bothered either. It wouldn't wouldn't register on us, but it, it could be. So it could come in for demand in uh, you know from sort of the football tourist market, in the sense that they get an opportunity to see, you know, Virgil Van Dyke. And Bruno Fernandez and Haaland and you know play against uh, you know some of the best players from from London and the South. Where, where this leaves the Midlands, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Well, I was going to say that, Kieran, because th- for me, as you know, the North starts around Streatham Hill. Basically, <laughs> anything north of that is is the North, as far as I'm concerned, and and Watford as a last resort. Um, whereas in America, of course, they've got a clearly definable line. They've got a, the Mason-Dixon line, which says which is north and which is south. And it, this strikes me as one of those ideas that would suddenly take place in Saudi Arabia, for example, or or Singapore as an exhibition game 
during the summer, but it's it's a strange one, isn't it? It's but he he, he says, well, we we have it, so you've got to have it. Yes, yeah, uh, and he says, you know, in in the states they have it on a Monday and a Tuesday, and it raises two hundred million dollars. Um, it it wouldn't raise a huge amount of money. I'm, I'm not convinced that the the viewing figures would be significant because. Uh, yeah, how how many people watch the? Yeah, you know, I, I still call it the charity shield, but I know it's sort of you know the the community shield. Um, it, it it doesn't attract a huge amount of interest. Uh, it, it, yes, it will be shown. It's a, it's it's a curiosity. The players won't be treating it that seriously either. You know, either it's at the end of the season and they're looking forward to their holidays or it's at the start of the season or pre the start of the season and nobody wants to get injured because they've got the real football matches taking place. Um, so, so that was, that was one of his comments. Um, the, the other one of his comments, which I think has, has sort of gone under the radar. Um, and, and this is something, uh, yeah, which, which I've, I've, you know, we've discussed ourselves in the past is some form of playoffs. And I think he was mm. talking about playoffs, in respect of the bottom four, um, and you know, could this be extended to the fourth Champions League place? Is has always been my view, and, and and then all of a sudden, you know, when you get to that final match of the season, you've you've probably got sixteen or seventeen clubs who have who genuinely got something to play for, because if you have the the bottom two clubs do get relegated, the next four go into playoffs to see who's relegated, and then at the top, the top three automatically go into the Champions League, and you've got some playoffs similar to what we see in uh, in rugby league. It it could uh, have have some merit. Um, so, so that one went under the radar. I think very much the focus on the North versus South, which I, I just don't, I don't see a lot of traction for. But I think you're absolutely right. As an exhibition match taking place outside of the UK, I think most of us would just go and shrug, and uh, you know, and, and in your case, concentrate on avoiding the sun. Yeah, um, that playoff idea. I, I, I've often advocated the fact that maybe the third bottom team in the Premier League should be in the playoffs with the three teams in the championship so they get a chance to stay up. But if, if you're trying to suggest to Premier League owners that the team that finishes seven places off the bottom of the Premier League still has a chance of being relegated for a playoff, you can't see that happening. But he, he also, Kieran, well, I suppose you could see it happening if enough American owners come in to make a majority mm. in the Premier League. But he also suggested very strongly that he was looking to turn Chelsea into a sort of Man City multi-club model he's got his eye on a couple of other clubs already and wants to extend that yes and I think we've already seen some reports we're recording this on Wednesday morning and I think already there's talk about some involvement in Portugal or Portugal um, and uh, he's he, he's seen the benefits that have arisen in respect of uh, Manchester City uh, his comments again sort of you know, focused on this is a way of farming out youth talent and, and keeping an eye on it, which which is uh, a benefit. Um, the downside of that is what happens if your Portuguese side is successful and, and gets into the Champions League. But that's exactly the same with the, the Manchester City model. I think everyone's going to have to take my word on this, but Portugal sounds exactly the sort of thing that Bob, Bob Hope would say to Bing Crosby in a, in a musical when they see a good-looking <laughs> woman from the Iberian Peninsula. Wow, what a Portugal! Um, uh, less exotic than Portugal, but not by much. Uh, Burnley are facing uh, an EFL investigation over who actually owns the club. And, it, and to an outsider, Kieran, this seems like um, the sort of thing you should need to investigate. Yes. So, so this is this is a story uh, I, I picked up from the mail. And I've got to be honest, having uh, having delved into it in a bit more detail, I, I, I think they, there's a, they're using a bit of license to uh, embellish things here. Uh, so, so what we have is, first of all, a, a, a ridiculously complicated structure in respect of Burnley Football Club. There is Burnley Football and Athletic Limited, which in turn is owned by Burnley FC Holdings Limited, which in turn is controlled by Calder Vale Holdings Limited, all in the UK, 
They, in turn, are controlled by a company called Velocity Sports, which is based in Jersey. Now, Jersey has a, has a different set of rules when it comes to being transparent. So this is the issue which is being brought up by the mail. Um, Velocity Sports, in turn, is owned by a company called ALK Capital LLC, which is based in the U- US, along with Velocity Sports Partners LLC. Um, and I go, why, why these huge degrees of layers of, yeah. of complication here? And I think this is what's got some people uh, disturbed. So I had a look at the, the EFL handbook. They, they very kindly sent me a copy of the handbook, saying, you know, what, what exactly are clubs supposed to be doing here? And, and the EFL handbook is, is very clear, and I think you've got to give the EFL some credit here, is that they say that according to their regulations, every club on its website now has to have a statement of ownership. And if you go to the Burnley website, it says that ultimately – Alan Pace owns just over 50%, and there's two guys called Michael Smith and Stuart Hunt, uh, and, and they own about a sixth of the company each. So that takes us to to 80-odd percent, and I, I think some of the former owners have a few shares as well. Um, but it's it, it, does, it, it does muddy the waters, and, and you can see why perhaps eyebrows have been raised. But I, I think this the article is being a bit harsh, um, you know, similarly, yeah, we've been talking about Morecambe on, on the show a few times recently, um, and yeah, they're up for sale. But again, they've got this ownership statement on, on their website, and all clubs, I think, as part of the EFL's attempt to to improve transparency and address issues of governance, are now having to do this, and and, and also they're being monitored, which perhaps wasn't always the case historically. Whenever you hear Kieran talk about, um, as you say, layers of ownership, and it tends to be in football or it tends to be on documentaries about who owns property in central London, it, the implication is always that it's for shady reasons. Is that the case or is this a standard business practice elsewhere? Um, it, it, it can be a bit of both. Uh, trying to get, you know, it's, it's a bit like you know, seven degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon in that uh, you you have to start to put together the model. It's a bit like, uh, you know, you remember the Mastroika, Mastroika dolls that you, I'd get in uh, in Moscow? Mm. Um, uh, you know, it, everything sort of fitted inside everything else. Now, sometimes it's done for taxation reasons. Sometimes it's done for international separation reasons where people don't necessarily want to uh, express who the ultimate owners are. Um, you know, I, I I failed to see why uh, EFL and Premier League football clubs should be registered in the Cayman Islands or the British Virgin Islands. It, it doesn't improve transparency, that's for sure. Um, so it, it, there, there can be, in the eyes of the owners, legitimate tax planning reasons. And remember, tax planning is another word for paying less tax. Mm. Um but uh, it, it it doesn't help, and and of course it does leave the, the people involved open to accusations. And again, this is only something I've picked up from half-heartedly watching documentaries when there's no football on telly or uh, documentaries about Anne Boleyn. But this business of being registered in the Cayman Islands or in Jersey, do they need a physical presence there in the company, or is it as simple as tacking a brass plaque on a wall? It, it is. It is nameplate ownership. Um, and, and it is it is very common uh, in Jersey, Isle of Man, BVI, Cayman Islands. Um, in the US, they normally use the state of Delaware because uh, the US has both federal and state uh, laws. Uh, Delaware, uh, famously or infamously, has the most relaxed uh uh, uh, disclosure rules. So therefore, we find huge numbers of companies from the United States uh, deciding to to register their activities in Delaware because it means that they have to disclose less information. And part of me says, well, you know, given a choice between disclosing more information or less information, I can understand why companies don't want to disclose any more information than they have to. Uh, but from a perspective of transparency and also from a perspective of you know, what we've always said, um, 
you know, football is more than just a, a limited company business. Uh, it is a community business. Um, yeah, and, and perhaps if we had an independent uh, f- football regulator, as as suggested by Tracy Crouch, um, then then this could be an issue which would be addressed. Well, you got that in early. Uh, you've done a lot of our bingo players have been able to. They've probably gone already. Now you've done that already. <laughs> um, right. This 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 was a bit of a head scratcher, Kieran, for the more simple amongst us in football. Uh, and you had to explain to me why this was able to happen when the transfer window is closed. But Diego Costa has signed for Wolves this week. Yes, um, and Diego Costa he's, he's only thirty three. I thought mm. he's yeah. You know, I thought I thought he was a yeah you know, three or four years older than that. Uh, so he's he's signed for Wolves. Um, I don't know if people have seen the uh, the, the release of you know the, the video when he signs where he is he is by Diego Costa standards looking not entirely confident at being surrounded <laughs> by a bunch of wolves on leads. Um, but uh, the reason why he was able to to sign a contract outside of the window was that he did have a contract with Athletic uh, Mineiro of Brazil, which expired in December 22. So therefore, he's a free agent. Um, and, and free agents can join football clubs at any point in the year because he didn't have a, a when we talk about a football transfer we are talking about the transfer of the registration certificate of the player from either domestically from one football club to another or internationally from effectively one football uh, association to another so in, in the case of diego costa um because his contract expired in december 22 he didn't have a registration certificate to transfer and therefore, he's exempt from the transfer window rules. Right. Do we? I don't suppose there's any indication of how many free agents there are floating around football at any one time, because that, it seems like a bit of a, a loophole, doesn't it, transfer window-wise? Well, it, it is and it isn't, because if, if those players were any good, you would have thought that somebody would have offered them a contract already. Right. Okay. Um and sort of at the end of at the end of each season, I think the PFA, they say, you know, on average around about seven hundred of our members each season uh are out of contract. And then you and it quite quite often happens with goalkeepers that uh you know that they they'll They'll get to September, October. A goalkeeper gets an injury, and if the goalkeepers, you know, who's who's been released is still without a job, if, if they kept themselves fit, they they find themselves you know on the bench, um, and so on. Remember, uh, famously, which which player was it? Wasn't it wasn't it Leicester were playing Wickham in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup? And, and ah, yes, um, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think of the name of the That's player, cool. yeah, but he, you know, he ended up. Yeah, get, get, getting quite a reputation Scored the on, winner, on yeah. the back of being available. Yeah. Um, if only there's some way we could check that, Kieran, while we were uh, recording. Um, you have to congratulate Wolverhampton Wanderers, though, for laying their hands on that many wolves at short notice. <laughs> yes. Actual wolves. Because you know, if, if, a pal- if a player signed for Palace this week, we'd struggle to get more than one eagle, I'm guessing. <laughs> Whereas Brighton, it'd be easy for you because all you need to do is hold out a chip, and then <laughs> every seagull on the south coast would be coming along. <laughs> Wrexham's application to stream home games, both domestically and internationally, has been declined. The streaming, we know from Andy Holt in particular at Accrington, that streaming games is, is controversial at that level. So, why did they want to do it, and why has it been declined, Kieran? Right. Well, um, the reason why Wrexham have asked to do this is that uh, yeah, they've got two Hollywood owners um, presently on Disney Plus. Uh, that they are now start that they started streaming the the program. Welcome to Wrexham. Um, it, it's it's great, you know. It, it's popcorn TV. It, they're very personable. There's lots of interviews with fans and people around the club, and, and it is it's a genuinely engaging program. It's only on for half an hour, um, yeah. And as I've said, I've, I've got an affection for Wrexham, yeah. um, you know, in terms of uh, uh, you know football football clubs nearly going out of business. And also, I used to uh, I, I used to run a, a double glazing company 
in Wrexham, which had gone into administration. Um, and we, when we were short-staffed, I'd ended up on the production line, which was which was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good fun. So, so it's it, it's a program which is increasing um, the the profile of the club uh, due, due to the owners who who are very much involved in in the show. Uh, Sean Harvey, uh, the uh, the uh, is is sort of the the advisor to the club. Uh, you know, and he comes on and introduces himself as as being the the, the former chief executive of of both Bradford City and, and Leeds United. Uh, he, he didn't mention that uh, both clubs went into administration <laughs> twice. Uh, I, I guess I guess that quite didn't didn't quite make the edits. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll always I'll, I'll I'll always remember that. Um, so so what's happened on on the back of Wrexham now having a bigger profile? You know, they their their front of shirt sponsorship has gone from the the local uh, I think that local car hire company to TikTok. So you know it they they've certainly increased their profile. They wanted to. Uh, leverage on the back of that through streaming matches uh, to expand the fan base. And uh, they, they put that to the National League and the National League said, no, can't be done. We've got an existing deal with BT. Um, so uh, they put the kibosh on that. Um, uh, but there is going to be a meeting on the 15th of September between all club owners where the issue of streaming is now going to be discussed. So uh, whilst it's been rejected, I think at board level, it could now it could uh, go into the sort of more of a broader domain for discussion and perhaps a vote be taken. Um, I think the big question, and you know, and certainly I've seen both sides of the argument put forward as far as the EFL clubs are concerned, is if we do sell streaming passes, who gets the money? Yeah, yeah there, there's there's always two issues. There is, do we have a pie? How big is the pie? And then how are we going to cut the pie? And that tends to be the issue upon uh, where where people fall out. And, and certainly uh, from Andy Holt's perspective, he takes the view that if uh, Accrington have got a match at home and they're playing, uh, you know, they're playing Portsmouth or they're playing Ipswich and, and so on, if if Portsmouth and Ipswich are selling passes, well, why can't Accrington have have a proportion of that money? And, and that that does seem to have some validity, and also it it stops the bigger clubs accelerating too far ahead of the smaller clubs, and it, and it maintains some form of competitive balance within the division. So you know it, it's, it's it's a case of how, how you split. Them. So you know we've said before, streaming is the way forward. Streaming, you know, don't don't, don't be King Canute when it comes to things like this. Um, you know, it, it is a way of of getting direct to consumer as far as the uh, the club and and the product is concerned. But uh, remember that we want football to be a competitive sport at the same time. So, th- does the BT deal include streaming rights, or are National League games not not streamed? Is the only way you can watch them just wait and hope that they're going to be on BT at the weekend? Yeah, I think it, I think it is it is determined by by BT now right. what rights BT have because I think they have a uh, effectively a, a match of the day style show as well where where they show the highlights from individual yeah. matches. So if they've played for all of that and people are saying, well, actually we're we're going to watch the matches live and therefore we're not going to you know, yeah, it's a bit like me and you. Even if we go to a match, we get home in time for match of the day. And and if we've won, because I don't watch match of the day if we've lost. Neither do I. Um, if we've won, we'll still watch it. Now if if will people be willing to watch the the BT deal? You know, if if you're if you're Altrincham and you're you're playing a match down south and you've won, you you might want to to watch it on the BT show. But if you've paid for a pass, you might not, and therefore BT might be concerned about the impact it has on their viewing figures. I'm always baffled by people who watch their team lose on a highlights program. People people say to me, "Well, why don't you watch the other games and then just switch over to something else when Palace are on?" And then switch back. And I go, well, A, Palace will be on last anyway. We always are. And, and B, why would I want – I wouldn't even want my eyes resting on any programme that was going to show Palace losing at some stage. I don't yeah. – now, I don't believe, Kieran, in uh, <laughs> our, our nearly three years of recording this pod, that we've ever actually travelled to the Isle of Man. But there's been a, a big issue this week. It became quite public that – FC Isle of Man have been very criticised by their their fans over a mm. rise in, in match day prices and season ticket prices. 
Yes, um, they they put up the price of a ticket to I think ten pounds to adults. No, it's, I think it's five, um, five pound to seven pound. I think it was. Was it right? Okay, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, they say we we've we are a successful club. Uh, we, we've got income of three hundred and sixty thousand pounds a year, but we're still losing money. And, and the reason why they're losing money, and remember, we we, are, we we've spoken to the people at Jersey Balls who have come yeah. on the show as well is that if you are one of those island clubs and you want to be part of the football pyramid, you're going to come up against a lot of resistance from other yeah. clubs. So you know, in, in the case of Jersey Bulls, when, when clubs come to Jersey, Jersey Bulls have to pay their, their transport fees. Um, and I think it's broadly similar in, uh, in the Isle of Man. So they're, they're currently in the Northwest Counties Football League, which is the, the, the same division as Berry AFC. Um, and they, they want to enter the FA Cup in 2023-24, so therefore they need to be part of the pyramid structure. Yeah, they, they've got ambitions, um, and, and, and that's all well and good. The reason why they put up their prices is their, their, their explanation is that it, it, it's all down to transport costs. Yeah. Transport costs represent 80% of the total uh, that that it's uh, costing, and of course, transport costs have gone gone through the roof. Uh, you know, following uh, following what's happened uh, in in Ukraine and, and the increase in in general energy prices and fuel prices, um, that's impacted upon charter flights. We've had issues. You know, we've had issues with flights as we were discussing uh, only last week. Um, and then, if you're hiring a coach as well, those prices have gone up because because of fuel prices. So. FC Isle of Man said, well, we're simply passing on those costs to, to you, the fan, and the fans are saying, well, yeah, we're being screwed left, right, and centre from, from general inflation. Uh, ultimately, attending a football match is discretionary expenditure. I, I, don't, I don't like to use the word luxury. You know, mm. For me, football's never been a luxury, it, it, yeah, but, it, but it, is, it is something which we, we where we do ultimately have a choice, uh, you know, we've we've got to feed and heat the house, um, but uh, that has has certainly provoked uh, dissent, and, and it was a you know, a very uh, a very public uh, display of unhappiness, uh, which was coming across on social media. I had flight issues when I went to the Isle of Man. I travelled over with two other comedians to do a gig. Well, I can only describe these comedians as more exuberant than me, Kieran, in terms of their comedy and their everyday demeanour. And uh, they thought it would be hilarious to mimic the stewardess who was doing the safety announcement, very small plane. They thought it would be hilarious to mime her actions and the actions of the steward at the back. And then halfway down the runway, the plane stopped and the pilot said, I'm very sorry, we're going to have to delay takeoff because two so-called comedians... Uh, Di- di- disrupted you've now oh, and I, was, I, I couldn't stand up and say I didn't do it I was just sitting there quietly paying attention so I wasn't no one ever does but it was a very uncomfortable atmosphere and get, get, they, they decided it's probably best if we got off the plane last it's <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, an interesting place sir. and and if anybody from FC Isle of Man is listening we would be really interested to hear from you to discuss this issue, because um, we, we have discussed the economics of island football before, as you say, with Jersey Bulls, but this this one's particularly struck a chord with, with, with fans, certainly with the Isle of Man fans. So we would love to hear your take on the story and about life in general, football in the Isle of Man. I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Kazoo, Kieran, uh, who's mm. got uh, not short of money, judging by the amount they spend on advertising, in this country online car retailer 
currently sponsors of Aston Villa and the EFL are pulling out of sponsoring clubs in France, Germany, Italy and Spain. Yes. Um, so I I dug out um, Kazoo's accounts um, and on sales of £160 million last year, uh, they lost ninety million. Oh, so yeah, that's that is that is quite spectacular. Now, normally you say that when a business is is starting, it it can have cash flow challenges if it's it's not particularly well organised, and yeah, that's why you have investors who are prepared to to absorb those losses. But um, it uh, it has announced recently that it's going to have a quite a significant restructuring. Uh, it did, you know, you know clearly you, you cannot watch commercial television without Ryland chopping up, uh, <laughs> you know, popping up every you know, 15, 15 minutes to, to advertise the, the virtues and extol the, the benefits of Kazoo uh, in that particular area of, uh, of the car market. But they've, they've announced 750 job losses, which mm. is you know, very sad news for all the people involved. They, they did start off in the UK and... Uh, then they very very quickly went into the rest of the Europe, and uh, you know we, we often talk about when, when when you're looking at business setup, don't do too much too young um, to to quote the uh, to quote the specials, um, and, and I think that's perhaps what they have done. So they've now pulled out of the whole of Europe, but in the intervening period. They sponsored clubs in France, in Lille and Marseille, Italy, Bologna, France, Freiburg, Freiburg, and uh, Valencia in Spain. So, um, where they stand with those particular deals, uh, we, we don't know whether they've paid them for this season in advance or not. Uh, but it, it's pointless. It's pointless advertising a product where you're not actually s- selling your your broader services. So, yeah, it, it's messy, and uh, you just hope from the well, first of all, you know, there's people losing their jobs. Let's, let's kind of keep a, a look on the broader things here. But uh, you hope that the clubs aren't going to be uh, losing out on this as well because trying to to find sponsors once the season starts it isn't always easy. And I think you know, Nottingham Forest are uh, probably going through some of those teething issues as well. Mm. I spent a few hours in the company of Terry Hall, the specials. He was one of the most attractive men I've ever seen in my life, but I would not describe him as knockabout. <laughs> uh, I, I doubt if the phrase "laugh a minute" has ever been used by Terry Hall or his friends. I, I do think that that Ghost Town is the greatest ever number one in terms of right song at right time. I, I remember that. Yeah, uh, you know, see, and, and it just reflected where we were as a country. As well as being a fantastic song in its own right, of course. Well, that that whole that first album, the Too Much Too Young album, was fantastic, brilliant album. Um, let's not get uh, diverted down that uh, avenue, Kieran. We'll be here for a long time. Uh, our, our next three questions, our next three news stories, rather, uh, to finish the pod, almost take us to Spain, and mm. uh, in in their own way, they all illustrate that Spanish football seems to be going through some kind of existential financial crisis if you can have a crisis it is both existential and financial the first story is that Antoine Griezmann is playing less than half an hour a game for Atletico so the club can avoid paying a 40 million euro fee to Barcelona yes um and you know we'll probably be talking about agents a little bit later but this is a classic case of somebody somewhere has not looked at the small print so you're absolutely right what what's happened here is that uh, that Griezmann initially went to to Barcelona for 107 million pounds in 2019 didn't work out um and uh, therefore that they put him on a or they they returned him to Athletic uh, on a two year loan with an obligation to buy and we've spoken about these obligations to buy and that obligation to buy was as follows was that if he played for more than 45 minutes in over half of the games <laughs> over two seasons, then that triggered the 40 million euro fee. So <laughs> he last played a full match last April. And, and what Atletico Madrid had done, they said, well, if we pay him for less than 45 minutes, we could save ourselves an awful lot of money. So Barcelona uh, say, oh, that's 
that's a bit immoral. That's a bit unethical. I'm thinking, hold on, unethical coming from Barcelona mm-hmm. football clubs. You know, there's a you know, and, and there's no irony, of course. So, so they they initially were threatening. Um, uh, they, they were setting threatening Atletico Madrid with with a lawsuit, um, and you know our, our our friend Nick DeMarco said, always try to avoid lose lawsuits. Negotiation is far better than litigation in terms of a it's quicker and b it's a lot lot cheaper. So I think there are there are now uh, uh, negotiations between the two clubs and. It looks as if to, to save this somewhat farcical situation, because he's a fantastic player, um, that uh, Barcelona might now accept twenty five million, um, and and if they'll he'll 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 sign for them on on that full contract at the end of the season. So it, it does show that uh, if if you don't look uh, at the the terms and conditions of any contract, it can come back to bite you in the bum, uh, and this is very much what's happened here, as far as far as Barcelona is concerned. Why on earth they agreed to to such a uh, a deal is is beyond me. But I think I I could say some of say the same about some of the other contracts they signed over the course of this summer. Yeah, we will definitely be talking about agents, Kieran, before we finish, because I can see it written at the bottom of the, my screen. It's the last story. <laughs> it's uh, it, it is as you say, farcical, Kieran, but also it's I mean, it's very unfair on the player for a start. I mean, it could affect his international career if if, for example, they were to decide that he can't possibly be match fit if if he's only playing half a game. And it's I mean, it's, we always forget the the human being at the bottom. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's, of course, he's a very well-paid human being, but he's still a human being who wants to play football. And that's what lies at the bottom of all these financial stories that we sometimes need to remind ourselves. Um, still with Barcelona, their spending cap has been increased by €800 million Euros after La Liga accepted the use of payday loans. And I'm, I, I reckon, Kieran, like, like myself, a lot of our listeners will be thinking, well, hang on, they didn't seem to have been shy about spending money before this cap was increased. So what's, mm. what difference is this making? Well, um, what what's happened is that La Liga have now given them their their spending cap for the season. So this will have an imp- probably an impact more when it comes to uh, January than anything else. Originally, um, Barcelona were given a negative wage cap of one hundred and forty four million euro. And people yeah. go, so Kieran, sorry to interrupt. Just for newer listeners, would you like to just briefly explain what the how the spending cap works in La Liga? Sure. It's, uh, so they're called uh, La Liga cost controls. And, and the way that it works is that what you have to do is that you have to submit to the, the bean counters at La Liga a, a budget for the upcoming season. And this says, this is how much money we expect to, to earn. This is how much money we are spending on non-football things. And in the case of Barcelona, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big club. It's got significant overheads. Um, this is how much money we are committed to paying over the course of the next 12 months in the course of A, transfer fees, and B, loan repayments. Barcelona were, were up to their ears in debt. Uh, and you know, I've said on many occasions, debt's not a problem provided you can make the payments on the due dates. In the case of Barcelona, it had a load of loans which were, were due for repayment. So, so Barcelona's as a result of that, he said, this is our income. We've got huge amounts of loans and we've got lots of non-football costs. And whatever's left over is your your football budget in terms of effectively transfer fee, amortization and wages. And when you plug those figures into the calculator, it came out as minus 144, <laughs> which was uh, which was you know, a, yeah, a bit, bit like me three days after payday. Um, so uh, Barcelona decided to do two things. First of all, they, they went and increased their revenue. So, so this is through the use of these. Yeah, we, we mentioned this before. They've got four uh, what they refer to as, as economic levers, but they are, in fact, payday loans. Yeah. What, what Barcelona have done is that they've, they've sold broadcasting rights. They've sold some of the commercial rights for the next, you know, sometimes 20, 25 years, and they've got money now. So that's boosted their revenue now, but it's going to, it's going to decrease their revenue going forwards. And then they've, they've cut their, their loan repayments by rescheduling the loans. So they've kicked the problem further down the road. It's not something that I would recommend in terms of you know, financial common sense, 
but it's sort of a, you know, they will argue that it's sort of a needs must, and that's allowed them to sign uh, you know, Lewandowski and uh, Rafino and you know the, these other players. Didn't stop them from losing uh, to Bayern Munich yeah. last night um, when when Lewandowski went back. Um, so their wage cap has gone from minus one hundred and forty four to plus six hundred and fifty million euro. But to me, this indicates that. If you've got rules and they've not been thought through, it can lead to people making decisions which are not in anybody's long-term interest. And that's what Barcelona have done. They've sold the family silver. They've kicked their debts down the road. How, how is that good for the sustainability of the club? Mm, I mean, this is a very unlikely scenario, Kieran, because uh, I'm not an accountant. I don't speak Spanish. And I doubt if I've got 25 years left. But Barcelona's accountant in 25 years' time is it's just me going to go, what? What? What did they do? Why did they do that? <laughs> yes. um, and still in Spain, uh, La Liga president, Javier Tebas, is going to report the Premier League to UEFA for causing what he calls transfer inflation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Everybody likes a snitch, don't they? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. This, this is, um, I can only describe this as textbook Tebas because what he has a. a he is he's obsessed with other football clubs and other competitions rather than perhaps focusing on his own. Um, the Premier League is very successful. And uh, historically, Spain has been very successful. Yeah. And also, if you take a look at Real Madrid's uh, Champions League success over the course of last decade, Spain is still very successful. Um, you, know, you, you only got to go back to sort of think, was it the period something like, you know, 2013 to 2015, I think they won seven out of nine yeah. European competitions. So, but it's it's very clear now, and I think this is one of the issues he is referring to. It's not necessarily um, uh, a, a pop at the biggest clubs, but if you finish seventh or eighth in the Premier League and you compare the the revenue of that club to the the club which is seventh or eighth. In La Liga, they're they're light years apart. So you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid can compete at the ultimate end with you know, Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, and so on. Manchester City, of course. Um, but the once once you drop out of that top tier, the the, the I don't want to call them also rounds because they're not. Because you know, if, if you support Betis or you support Osasuna, that club means just as much to you as as if you support one of the bigger clubs. But those clubs which don't get the attention um, earn substantially less money than you know the, the clubs, you know, say Newcastle, Wolves, Leicester, and so on, who are sort of what we might refer to as mid tier clubs uh, here in England, which means that Wolves and Leicester and Villa and you know, I mean, Paris and Brighton as well, you know, we can we can sign players. From the, the from the rest of Europe, which which the rest of Spain can't can't afford. So he says, well, yeah, the Premier League's been too successful. It's uh, and on the back of that, it's generating more money, and that's not fair. What I would say to uh, Javier Tebas is part of the reason why the Premier League is so successful is because relatively it is far more democratic than La Liga itself, in the sense that. The gap between the clubs finishing you know, the mid table and the top, it is a noticeable gap, but we can still afford decent players. So, you know, when when Palace are playing Chelsea or Arsenal or Liverpool, you still think you've got a chance. And that's far less likely to arise. You know, in in Spain, football's too much of a procession. There's it's got two and a half clubs going to to win to win La Liga each season, and and that when you're trying to sell those rights, it makes it more difficult. Mm. I'm going to pause here, Kieran, before I ask uh, to get you to talk about the last news item, because um, something's just occurred to me, basically regarding the demographic of our audience, and I realised that I referred earlier to the specials, and I said that the Too Much Too Young album. Uh, it is, of course, the album from which that song was taken, which is one of my favourite songs. Uh, the album's called Specials. So I don't want hundreds of middle-aged men shouting at me. <laughs> saying, so I don't mind you getting amortisation wrong, but you've got the name of the Specials' first album wrong. 
Uh, I hope I've made that clear. It's a terrible thing, Kieran, when that's all you're really worried about, remembering kits from the 70s and making <laughs> sure you get bad names from the 80s, right? Um, the news stories about agents, Kieran, is the more uh, clever of our listeners will have gleaned already. A FIFA report shows that football agents earned 400 and £30.8 million in the last transfer window. £430.8 million, Kieran, for agents. Yes. Um, so FIFA always put out a report each year. Um, and uh, agents are, are the, you know, the pantomime villains of football. Who who sort of act as a as a lightning rod for an awful lot of criticism? Um, I, I've been in touch with with our friend Jonathan Booker with regards to this, and he's saying, well, yeah, the reason why FIFA are putting this out and also highlighting the figure is that uh, FIFA are trying to uh, distract uh, people from perhaps some of the ways that FIFA is run and focus instead of agents. Instead, on agents, um, I, I, the, these figures are paid by clubs. These figures are, in some in some cases, paid by players. FIFA is trying to uh, introduce a new set of rules which would limit agent fees, um, and that that that's quite populist in approach, and you can understand that because for, for reasons I, I've never quite understood. Um, you, know, you work in the entertainment industry. You have an agent. I, I, I moved house recently. I used an agent, and I didn't. Yeah, that's what everybody does. Yeah, everybody in entertainment, everybody moving a house uses agents, and, and we, we don't have an issue with it. When it comes to football and footballers, there seems to be this this element of resentment, and certainly there are examples such as you know the Paul Pogba transfer from Juventus to uh, Manchester United where where Raiola you know, made an awful lot of money on that deal do agents make a fortune in respect of most deals they they don't um what would we have if we didn't have agents well yeah and, and I'm not here to, to to try to promote that industry um it would be more difficult to get players to move because agents do act as sort of as a lubricant within the industry to, to facilitate uh, movements, especially from one country to another. Um, they they defend the rights of their players because football players are not necessarily hugely financially literate, and I'm, I'm not falling down that rabbit hole of football players are thick, yep, because they're not. Um, but they won't necessarily know market values, for example. They won't know perhaps potentially the benefits of uh, you know, their intellectual property rights. And a good agent would be able to negotiate on behalf of the client to generate for them. And, and they take a slice of the action on the back of that. So, so that's where we are. It, it, it is a large sum of money. Um, it does cover global trade uh, as far as uh, and remember these are th- this this 430 million only applies to international agents uh, international uh, football transfers so it excludes domestic ones so there will be figures on top but i think it it's not necessarily showing the whole story because fifa are now trying to position themselves as being the uh, you know as, be, as being the sheriff of football and solving the problems of agents if the if the FIFA proposals go ahead, which will cap agents' fees, I'm pretty certain what we will see is more clandestine payments being made, which isn't good for the overall uh, governance and transparency of the game. Uh, first of all, Kieran, I think you'll find that for a lot of us, Brighton are the pantomime villains of football. <laughs> um, but it's strange, when you talk to players... And people in the game, they mm. they don't have an issue with agents. They they yeah. they're bemused by the fact that uh, I, I would guess ninety nine percent of football supporters, as you say, they hate the idea of agents and they don't mind at all. I find they don't. It's, they, they haven't got an issue with players being paid a lot of money, but they do have an issue with the agents getting a, taking a commission for doing so. And I, I suspect football clubs are rather like. My industry, broadcasters, production companies don't like dealing with those few people 
who haven't got an agent. Most people who decide they can do it themselves then change their minds because they, the, the authorities really don't want to deal direct with somebody. Mm. You know, so even my client, I write and have I got news for you and I've done for a long time, but you still get a, a new contract for every series. It's 16 pages long. And there's all sorts of whereas and untos and, and clauses that involve you know your behaviour, their behaviour, repeat fees and whatever. And it, it, I, I don't understand it. And that's why I've got an agent who tells me the yeah, it's all fine, or she says, well, actually they're trying to change this bit, this percentage. You're okay with that? And otherwise, because what? They, yeah, I'm sure clubs worry the same way as broadcasters and production companies do. There's, there's too much temptation for them then to take the piss out of the footballer, basically. If they mm. think, well, we're dealing with somebody who doesn't know, as you say, isn't literate. And he, I'm intelligent, but I don't understand contracts or the finances. I, I couldn't possibly do it myself. And I'd be I'd, I'd be fair game for any unscrupulous production company that says, right, well, let's let's take advantage of that fact. So it's, uh, it, it baffles me a little why football fans are so distrustful of, of agents. You know, I think what didn't help, Kieran, I've been thinking about this actually since I saw the story, if you remember Eric Hall mm. from the 80s, younger people should look him up because he was a fascinating flamboyant character. He worked in the music industry, decided that football uh, was coming out of a period of doldrums and, and started to represent a lot of players. But he was a classic cliche agent, big coat, cigar, he had a catchphrase. And I think people, certainly of our generation, older fans, immediately think of him. And he was somebody who boasted about getting players extra money, but the players loved him because they, they, he was, you know, he would anything they did, he would get the money for. So, of course, they liked him. So it's an interesting dynamic. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that's very kind of you, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, folks, thank you very much for the support from the show. Uh, you keep us on our toes. Uh, yeah, we, we, we do uh, we, we do appreciate your engagement with us. Um, you, Patreon is one way of doing that for as little as a, as a pound a month plus VAT, let's say now. Um, uh, the other way you can do that is, is to go onto your podcast app and leave us a review. If you could give us five stars, it, it helps us in the charts. Uh, you know, we... We're regularly in the top thirty for for sports charts in in, in the UK, which for a niche show for, with uh, yeah we don't have glamorous production companies behind us uh, is is something we're pretty proud of. Um, it doesn't matter what you say as far as the review uh, is concerned. I think it's mainly based on the number of stars you give. So you could say, if you so desired, you'd rather have the show presented by little Jimmy Osmond and <laughs> Todd Bowley, who appear to have the same hairdresser than myself and Kevin. And it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us. Uh, producer Guy, I'm not the one who said you weren't glamorous. Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the